So Tesla's uh, quarterly conference call, financial conference call, just happened. So obviously we're going to talk a lot about that, some of the big highlights. Also going to talk a bit about Ford's uh, electrification plans or lack thereof or plans, hard to tell. Uh, so Matthew, I've written at length about this. I stayed up way too late last night writing about it. Um, what what uh, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the announcements you've seen from Tesla last night? Sure. So the the thoughts I had, I guess it would be a it'd be a bit of a mixed bag. It's very aggressive, as we've come to expect from Tesla, and I am a little bit uh, concerned about the fact that they're trying to make a big breakthrough on the quality side while also trying to really you know add a zero to production, uh, because generally. What do you? What do you mean on the quality side? Uh, basically, to they want to be the the world's best manufacturer of uh-huh, electric vehicles, yeah, yeah. which means you basically you want you want to beat Toyota or Lexus, who are usually the ones uh, cited as the as the guys to beat on that side. And mainly, it's because it's a lot easier to focus on one and bring up the other. You know, get your quality down pat, and then increase production, or alternately increase production, then get your quality down pat. But if you try and try and focus on both at once, they kind of work across purposes. Uh, so, for example, um, one of the things that uh, Toyota innovated, I think some other manufacturers do it now, is that their manufacturing techs uh, are allowed to pull a cord which basically stops production uh, for the whole plant, if necessary, to avoid defective parts going out the door. And so what that does, the, what, what that has helped Toyota with over the years is Again, if uh, if someone notices a, a flaw in some uh, some component, then you increase quality because you don't actually uh, release it into the wild. You don't have to have a service call or a dissatisfied customer. But that does tend to reduce your ability to scale up quickly because you know if if someone has a goal of you know making X number of vehicles and suddenly we might only make X over two, then there's a bit of a tension there. Uh, that that actually goes to one of the, the things that uh, Musk, Elon Musk, had said. Kind of feel weird referring to him as Elon because I don't know him personally. Uh, he had said that the whole team is super focused on achieving rate and quality at the target cost, and so by saying rate and quality, it kind of implies that they're going for the volume first, which is you know it's a decision, fair enough. Uh, but from a Toyota perspective, from a from a quality perspective, you'd want your your main guy to say, you know, the whole team is super focused on achieving quality and rate at the target cost. And I think this to summarize in a in a common phrase, you, you might be saying you think Tesla's take uh, taken bitten off more than it can chew, or is is maybe a twos to uh, split in its in its. There's there's target, a risk, I guess. Um, it would be very helpful, I'm sure, for all of Tesla's team members, just to to make sure that you don't have two competing goals which work against each other. Uh, thinking of Microsoft, you know, you had the Windows team, which is like we want Windows on every computer, and the Office team is like, no, we want Office on every platform, no matter whether it's Windows or not. Microsoft suffered for a long time because the Windows guys wouldn't let the Office guys release, you know, Office for for you know the uh, Office 365 or whatever it is, the online only version or the Mac only version, and similarly, the Office guys were like, why is Windows so important? But you're right; it's a long way of saying that 
uh, there has to be a hierarchy and a decision made. You know, are we going to go after quality first or rate first, production rate first? Uh, otherwise, you get this needless tension. Uh, that's yeah, it's really interesting. Interesting discussion. Um, one of the things that I, I found really uh, uplifting and, and interesting uh, was that he talked about. You know, obviously, there's there's a lot of concern. People keep bringing up the the Model X with the with the Model Three. Uh, you know the challenges of bringing it to to scale and and you know getting production ramping, and uh, and he was very he, he almost got uh, I think he got a little emotional there where he was uh, basically a little irritated I think trying to make the making the point that you can't reason by analogy with that it's like if you tried to reason by analogy with the Roadster and the Model S and that um, they. With the Model S, they basically they were building their first car. They were just trying to make sure it worked. With the Model X, uh, they were building on top of that platform, which was already complicated, and they made it more complicated. And with the Model Three, their aim is uh, their aim with the vehicle, aside to make it aside from making it awesome, is is ease uh, ease of manufacturing and simplicity. And he said that they were working. The design team and the manufacturing team are working from the beginning together. To you know, to make sure that every single part of the car is, you know, of course, ideally, yeah. <laughs> you never know what it's going to end up being. But uh, but to 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 cut off any potential problems early on and make hopefully make sure that every single part of the car is going to be uh, easy to scale up and, and manufacture. And um, I think that's the. I mean, I think they're they're making sort of a. A pretty dramatic shift in how they approach manufacturing at the same time as and, and you have to i mean that's the thing that everybody's been concerned about it's like well they can't do it the same as they did it with the s and x or else it's not going to happen and obviously elon understood that as well and and um they made changes uh who knows when to to do the three process very differently and to integrate the, the design and manufacturing team very early on so i I don't know. I, I'm hopeful. I'm more hopeful now after the call. But I definitely, I mean, I, I think it's pretty. I think everybody's nervous. I mean, I think Elon and, and team are nervous as well. This is this is a pretty ridiculous uh, target to to achieve. Um, uh, you have to be optimistic to say it's definitely going to be achieved. Um, but but it, they've made the shift with the with that shift on the manufacturing team. I think is is really critical. Uh, and it seems there's actually been, um, for a long time, a lot more manufacturing capacity than a lot of us realized. I saw uh, someone released the, the, on, on a factory tour about a year ago or something, last year. Uh, you know, on the factory tour, you have to sign an NDA, so you're not allowed to talk about stuff that you hear, right? Well, that's that's uh, probably a smart idea, really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, some people leak stuff out, but I've never seen this leaked before. The, the person said... Uh, you know, since Elon said on the call that they could actually manufacture, if they wanted to, a million about a about a million cars at Fremont and at the Gigafactory, the, the batteries, uh, which I mean, typically historically we've seen you know, capacity of Fremont being a lot lower than that, like five hundred. You know, uh, so yeah, half a million or something like that. So yeah, and and this person said on the tour that they were told it could manufacture nine hundred thousand cars. So. Basically, there's a tremendous amount of capacity there. Uh, in, 
which also extra f- because they've they've got an efficient you know system of robots um, manufacturing a lot of a lot of the parts of the car. So pretty that's another yeah, really interesting highlight for me. Um, we'll see where it goes. Of course, you said it's not going to be practical to to do that. You know, it's going to make more sense to manufacture cars in the market you know, closer to the markets, to the places that will be sold, you know, so have a Asia, Europe, et cetera. But those are right. some other interesting tidbits that uh, that for me are, yeah, pretty uplifting. Yeah. So, so yeah, just riffing on the robots idea there, um, I think that they're named after like X-Men or something, right? It, that, that's kind of cool. Uh, there was this, uh, I think that the tradition of naming robots, uh, I think, does come from Japanese manufacturing, where the, uh, I think the car makers or other electronics makers found that if you if you gave the robots names, then the actual human employees were less resentful about the fact that, oh, this piece of machinery might take my job one day. <laughs> I did not, something <laughs> I did like not that. know about that part of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't name them after superheroes, but, you know, the... Uh, the roster of uh, Japanese superheroes isn't quite as deep as the roster of uh, American culture superheroes, as evidenced by recent movies. <clears throat> anyway, but, uh, you know, uh, moving away from uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, the, uh, the, the one uh, hope that I have with the new hires that uh, Elon will bring in for the manufacturing side is that they emphasize the importance of this quality cultural culture idea. Uh, there is a kind of progression in a lot of thinking on the manufacturing side when you're scaling up that, you know, first you bring in some consultants or experts and they'll tell you how to do quality. Maybe you build some automation or robots because robots will do the same thing every time. And usually you wind up at that third place, which is um, the, the final destination, as it were, where you have a tightly integrated design for manufacturing process where your designers are working alongside with your supply chain you're making sure the suppliers can actually deliver what they're promising or what you need them to promise, and your manufacturing, which is this uh, DFM design for manufacturing that was referenced in the uh, in the call, and uh, the end point is that ultimately, instead of having like a top-down approach uh, where some expert is like telling all these little minions what to do, and instead of hoping that because a robot will do the exact the same thing over and over they'll always do it right uh it's it's to have the from the design um do in, input the quality so it's a, an idea of quality assurance you build the quality inherent into the design versus quality control which is you're at the end of the line and you're chucking out parts which don't fit which is expensive it takes up time it slows down your production rate and you know hopefully it doesn't escape the factory but you might get some dissatisfied customers uh, so i'm hopeful that uh, that's really interesting yeah so i'm hopeful that his mention of the design for manufacturing uh, really gets good buy in and that uh, you know, if necessary, uh, the people he brings in, the experts uh, in manufacturing he brings in, gets gets the leeway to say, "Hey, Elon, you know, back off a bit on this. This is still a little bit too aggressive for half a million cars in a couple of years." Yeah, I, um, you know, the, I, I meant to bring up our discussion before because we talked about this before about the need to have a head of manufacturing who could say no <laughs> and you know say say yes. no, we can't have that. <laughs> And he was, I mean, he basically said the same thing on the call. I was almost, I was probably laughing. I was like, oh, there it is, uh, where they said that the manufacturing team, not even one person, I think, but the, the I think the manufacturing team, uh, they definitely have the right to say, no, we're not going to use that part because it would be 
present this in this challenge. Uh, so, so right. they have that really uh, very carefully um, built into the right. design of the of the Model Three, and the Model Three is almost designed. They said as well. <laughs> they said that the powertrain right. well. is, is is designed. The, the the production powertrain is what was in the Model Three on March thirty first. They said the drivetrain. Uh, so yep. there are you know other other issues too, but. Um, and, and then on the supplier front, you know, I think it's interesting that one Elon Musk is has his desk at the <laughs> on the factory floor at the end of the the um, uh, at the end of the Model X line, uh, and previously he actually had that uh, at the beginning of the Model S line uh, when they were ramping the S, uh, and he, he has a sleeping bag there to sleep. <laughs> yeah. There, I, I think most of us don't actually want to know how much how how many days he ends up sleeping there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he's very involved there, and then on the supplier front, they're not just meeting with the head of he's he's not just meeting with the heads of the supplier companies. He's meeting with the entire supplier teams mm-hmm. uh, for for all of the supplier. I don't know if all of the supplier parts, but I, I assume the critical ones. Yeah, he, he says uh, he wants the A team from the A supplier, which you know it's a, it's the it's the right approach to take. For sure. Yeah, I tend to prefer yeah, yeah. A, a, <laughs> a everything when possible, right? <laughs> well, and, and that's the other thing. I mean, when they were ramping, when they were designing, ramping the Model X, uh, they didn't have quite the uh, the leeway. They didn't have quite the reputation, and and now it seems like what well, he said. You know, every every supplier basically wants to be involved here, um, so they're not having trouble finding top quality suppliers for like they did with the X, uh, yeah. supposedly. Uh, but of course, you know, this they're going to paint the rosiest picture. That's right. their job. That's uh, so you know, there there may be hiccups, and, and I mean, he talked on the call about their their hard deadline for suppliers being July first next mm-hmm. year, um, but with the obvious expectation that. The car won't be that nobody. Not everyone will hit the deadline, uh, even though that's the hard deadline right. that they have to hit. Uh, so, so yeah, we'll we'll see. You know how many extra wrenches get thrown into the mix <laughs> be, between July first and <laughs> and end of end of two thousand seventeen. Yeah. I I'm sure that the entire Tesla community, whether it's you know buyers of the S and X or the Roadster, uh, future buyers of the three Tesla employees and investors, will be happy. Will 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 prefer to be a few months late, but you know clean, um, glitch free uh, production. As opposed to try and get it in on the date or hit a production target, and then have this kind of sort of stomach wrenching, like oh, we got to you know fix this, or service stations are temporarily backed up because you know we we had to get something else fixed. So uh, again, speaking to that rate versus quality, I do hope that um, uh, the team has the freedom to say, okay, you know, we don't want to take an extra month, but we will save a lot of time, a lot of goodwill if we. You know, just spend a little bit of extra time to to get this right, and then we have a nice clean launch. <clears throat> One of the things, and this, uh, we'll definitely, we'll see if I definitely. can uh, riff this back into the Ford uh, story. Uh, amusingly enough, the uh, Elon's having his sleeping bag uh, at the uh, at the uh, end of the production line on the quality control side. Uh, isn't actually the most hardcore thing I've read in my years of uh, of reading up on the auto industry because the guy who was in charge of the original Toyota Prius actually moved out of his house 
and moved into the factory for the three and a half years of development. Um, this was <laughs> so. So basically, he told wow. his wife that, uh, "Hey, you know, I'm on this super, you know, super uh, big project, blah blah blah, and it doesn't look like I can realistically, um, you know, be much, uh, be much, be at home much." So uh, yeah, I can guarantee you that would not fly in my house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that might be, a, be... <laughs> a peculiar feature of of the Japanese household where the husbands, especially those with without as many social skills, are kind of a kind of superfluous in the household. Uh, but anyway, the Prius went from uh, um, written target, you know, make a car with twice the, the gas mileage as a regular car, to production in about three and a half years. It was, I think, mid-94 that they got their goal, and they actually launched the car in December 97. And the thing about that was, that was actually released a month early. And, and so what happened was that, uh, again, all I'm, I'm sure all automakers, you know, lean on their suppliers to say, "Hey, get this ready, get this ready." Uh, at the same time, they always leave a little bit of a. There's always a little bit of, let's say, um, there's a bit of a fudge factor or or slack in the time where you say, "Okay, we expect someone's not going to make it, therefore we budget two months delay or something like that." And so, to the to the credit of their supply base and and I guess Toyota's team figuring out you know which supplier can do what they actually got this this uh, this vehicle uh, groundbreaking as it was for the time released a month early and the guy could finally go home which i'm sure his wife is finally you know happy about if a little bit annoyed i hope he got overtime pay for sleeping at the factory <laughs> uh, now the interesting thing is that the first four priuses that came out in North America were all bought by Ford. Oh, that's fine. And Ford had wanted to say, because Ford was working on their own hybrid system, and they had actually uh, come up with the same algorithms for the battery controls as Toyota. But because Toyota patented them first, Ford had to get a license. It was a big black eye for Ford. They were always, uh, we worked with some Ford folks back in the day, and they were always complaining about how Toyota made big money, big bank, you know, big reputation on, hey, Ford had to license our technology, even though Ford had actually done all the work themselves as well. They just weren't first to the patent office. So the fact that Ford bought uh, at a premium a Model X that's uh, early off the line it's uh, it, it's not surprising. I'm sure other automakers will uh, will also, in their own due time, take apart a Model X. But it is uh, it is indicative that their engineering team think, well, hey, this is a serious vehicle. We need to pay attention to it, and uh, let's see how you know how something that we make could stack up. Let's see what we can uh, you know we can copy maybe. Let's see what their costs likely are based on the materials used. It's a uh, I think uh, it is the fact, I guess, that Ford, uh, was it Ford who actually uh, publicized it or was it someone else? Basically, it just reinforces that uh, that the rest of the auto industry is taking Tesla seriously, even if they secretly think that, okay, they're biting off more than they can chew. It's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a milestone in terms of being taken, like, hey, these guys are for real, we've got to pay attention to them. You know, we don't want to be caught blindsided by some feature or other that, that they come up with out of California that us in Detroit or us in Tokyo or in Germany haven't thought yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I really, I guess it's it's hard to see how the large automakers can really adequately respond right now. Um, they just seem so far behind, but uh, I'm sure they have a lot going on behind the scenes that they don't talk about. I just read a long piece about Carlos Goshen uh, or Goshen, um in China where he talks about the fact that you know Tesla 
doesn't have um, another car in the market of the Tesla Model 3, so it can go ahead and announce a vehicle. They can't announce a you know, what they're working on because it would eat into their leaf sales. So, you know, uh, I'm sure they have stuff going on. Uh, there's still big gaps, like, in, in the ecosystem, EV ecosystem, like we discussed before, um, supercharging, et cetera. But, um, but also, you know, at this, at, at our event, at our Clean Technica, Clean Tech Revolution Tour event in Berlin, uh, Jose Pontes of EV Sales, he, he made a, he had a good point uh, from, so he pulled from college, his college days of, uh, you know, if if there's a need to change quickly, the larger organisms or corporations are are the the less the the least well equipped for that. So, um, you know, they're they're the most likely to to run into big challenges. So, uh, I I think it's it's got it's got to be all of these big automakers have to be paying close attention to to Tesla now. We've seen it, you know. Audi admitting that they've also they also bought one of the early Model Xs. Uh, this is great indication from Ford that, that they really are serious. Um, at the same time, that yeah, their typical you know new model uh, their cycles are like five to six years, uh, and Tesla is just able to go much more quickly uh, theoretically through that. And, and they just uh, you know Elon made a point on the call that no matter how big the company is, you have to have I mean you have to have a focus on all the things that make an electric vehicle to make that uh, to make that car, you know, bring that to market and make it competitive. Uh, so it's not just if you're big, you can do it. You have to you have to have a very focused effect, effort on that, and you have to make new relationships with new suppliers. Uh, of course, not entirely, um, and new design teams and new uh, engineering teams, etc. Um, so uh, I think they all. I mean, I'm curious for for your take because you always bring an interesting perspective. But um, I just it's with Tesla's goal now of 500,000 vehicles a year by 2018, uh, and really no other even genuinely competing models announced by by others. Uh, you maybe include the Bolt, even though it doesn't have super fast charging and it it obviously doesn't have over 400,000 reservations. Um, for a handful of reasons. Uh, and then, you know, I, I'm just putting together our monthly EV sales report, and I've got, for this month in the U.S., uh, almost 12,000 sales. Uh, last month, almost 11,000. Uh, if you assume that half of Tesla's sales will be in the U.S., uh, that's probably a bad assumption. Could could be, you know, 40%, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then you divide by 12. Uh, that's... They're, they're, I mean, they're basically estimating 21,000 sales in the U.S. a month in 2018, which is like double what we're seeing for the entire EV market. Uh, so, I mean, how how do these big automakers compare? Do they do you think they have products that are going to compete in a few years? Do you think they're going to really scramble? Do you, what, what what do you think? So, I guess the way I would think about it is that. Uh... Uh, there's some sort of saying about how like soldiers think of strategy and generals think of like um, logistics or something, something like this. And one of the underestimated uh, skill sets of the big automaker, like a big uh, aircraft manufacturer, is the ability to – there's a supply chain. Now, maybe 80% of, uh, of, of the parts um, 
for a combustion vehicle will be the same as the uh, electric vehicle. I'm not everything except the drivetrain and the, the fuel tank and the engine. Uh, maybe it's not eighty percent. Maybe it's like sixty percent. But a lot of those other things are um, are still in common. And that skill set of making sure you know herding all those you know hundreds of suppliers like cats. To, to, to be delivering with quality on day one, that is an underestimated skill set, which I guess uh, Tesla is, uh, is appreciating more now. So I do think that that skill set will serve mainline automakers well, as long as they don't like go bankrupt on account of diesel or, uh, or you know, gasoline cheating fines and stuff like that. Uh, the, the need to bring in uh, different teams uh, or to, to, to bring in a healthy and fast ramp of electrified technology of electric vehicles. Uh, they'll have to they'll have to have some engineering teams on it. I'm sure they do already. But as soon as you basically you can reassign a bunch of guys who used to t- who used to work with engine component suppliers and then start getting them talking with you know battery component suppliers or, or things of that sort. I think the big gap that the uh, big automakers have. Uh, the biggest gap is the idea of the whole product solution. So Tesla, to its magnificent credit, uh, you know, foresaw the need to have supercharging, to have very fast uh, electric charging. And so they are the only company which has the whole solution from, you know, you can charge at home, they'll help you with your installation of your charger, they do the service, they do everything, and they also have this uh, fast charging, supercharging service. And no other car maker really has that. There is talk, uh, you know, um, some of the bears say, oh, yeah, these guys are going to agree on, uh, you know, 180 kilowatt standard or some other, you know, similar charging standard uh, to share costs between automakers. Yeah, there's there's 150 kilowatt standard in Europe now. But uh, but as far as I know, not a single charger and no talk of a, of a real network like, like Tesla has. Exactly. And and I think the the biggest uh, uh, counterpoint to this bare argument is that uh, goodness the automakers of the world couldn't even agree between Chatmo and SAE when it came to regular fast charging right you had every single reason in the world to actually come together on a standard and they couldn't and so it's hard for me to imagine that you can get enough of the uh, world's automakers to agree on some uh, fast charging standard or some supercharger equivalent uh, and then agree to say, okay, you do 40%, I'll pay 30%, he'll pay 30%. There's just too many parties to actually get an effective rollout. So I do think the superchargers are, as many people have pointed out, this very keystone, uh, difficult uh, it's it's one of these sustainable competitive advantages in the sense that even though if a company decide to go it alone, they could probably build out. You know, Toyota has a lot a lot of money in the bank. They could probably build out an insane number of fast charging stations. But the likelihood is they're not because they're going to want to share costs with the competitors, and those guys are going to lose so many months or years arguing that they're not going to wind up building it out. Well, the funny slash sad thing to me is that uh, I mean, uh, Elon opened his arms to people. I mean, he, he wants EV revolution to happen, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he opened his. He said, "We're not going to, you know, hold this like it's a like you know to try to defeat everyone else. We, we're open to others using it. You just have to build your cars so that they can charge on the network, and you have to help pay for the cost of the network." And I mean, 
there may be other things I don't see, but basically it, my impression is just that these guys all have too big, guys and girls, uh, have their egos are too big, their, their pride is too big to, to accept that they have to follow the leader, Tesla, uh, when, you know, Tesla is this small startup from Silicon Valley. Uh, so, I, I you know, I think at this point there may be a shift happening where they say, look, they've got <laughs> maybe half a million reservations right now. We have to start treating them like a like an equal, not like a nerdy uh, kid who we bully. <laughs> uh, so, right. so I think um, I think there's got to be movement on that front. Otherwise, they just they're just hugely lacking in competitiveness. And, and then I'll, I'll let you keep going. But I think there's two big for me. There's two big parts of that EV ecosystem that that Tesla's leading on. One is the superchargers, and one is is the batteries. Uh, but but I'll let you keep going if you were going to keep going there. Sure. Now, I think the batteries are a very interesting, uh, will be an interesting thing to look at, say, in the next five years. Uh, when the Model S came out, uh, when the Roadster came out, the idea of taking the um, 18650 cell, f- cell uh, size format and wrapping it into sort of uh, modules and putting those modules together made perfect sense because that was by far the highest volume uh, and cheapest per kilowatt hour uh, battery size format. And I think the, 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 the price of lithium-ion batteries has like fallen by two-thirds in the past five years, something crazy like that. Uh, if something like that, it was it, 40, it's, 40 it's or insane. 50% last year alone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think some of those stats um, that have been published don't factor in currency uh, fluctuations. So if the U.S. dollar got stronger, then the the price of a battery that was manufactured in Korea or something might get cheaper. So I, I think that some of the lumpiness might be explainable by foreign exchange uh, differences. Nonetheless, way cheaper, which is, you know, way awesome. And I wonder if, if like LG and Samsung, uh, I think uh, there, there are a couple of companies, Panasonic as well, who, who make now the bulk of the uh, electric vehicles for the auto sector. And they're going, they've, they've committed to these prisms, these, these larger format cells. At some stage, the price advantage of the 18650 format or, or any other format is going to be much lower relative to the prism format, which no one ever used to make. And so at some stage, I would imagine that even Tesla might uh, consider going to a prism size pack. I don't, I don't have any idea what kind of volumes you'd have to hit to match those. It's just that it would have made, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it made tons of sense five years ago. I, I imagine that if Tesla's, you know, continuing with some sort of a, uh, uh, maybe there's a, like a 20 millimeter format instead of an 18 millimeter format there, that it still makes sense. But uh, if the production of prism cells ramps up, then your cost advantage for the 18650s might be lower than it used to be. Yeah, well, we had a we had a, a one of our readers is um, he competed in, in this uh, X Prize design. I think uh, designed a, designed an EV himself, and he he wrote a long piece for us a couple months ago on um, on battery packs uh, and cells and. He he seemed to make the argument that this uh, that the the Tesla's approach makes more sense because of how you, because of how, how they can manage the battery pack etc and um, keep the cells uh, you know uh, lasting longer etc. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, it's not my area of expertise. LG Chem obviously is a leader in this field. Samsung as well, and um, 
they have different approaches. The, the big thing on cost, yeah, that's that's an interesting point you bring up that it might level out more. Right now, obviously, we had a, a week or two ago a leak, um, te- a Tesla head of Tesla investor relations jumped on a on a financials call for another company to clear up. Um, uh, basically, an analyst had had said that that there was no way that the Model Three could be uh, could be profitable and. One of his assumptions was the price of the battery pack, and the Tesla head of investor relations jumped on the call and, and basically blew a huge hole through that by saying that their battery pack today cost was one hundred ninety dollars a kilowatt hour. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. um, that was well below the analyst assumption, and also well below what you would get for uh, for the Chevy Bolt using LG Chem sales, which, which they they said would be one forty. One hundred forty-five dollars a kilowatt hour, um, right. but still, it's not—it's not a—it's tr- not such a tremendous gap that um, that you couldn't see LG Chem or Samsung catching up. I think we don't know Samsung's costs. They supplied the BMW i program uh, and uh, others, perhaps. But um, but the uh, the thing that Elon brought up on the call—they they, were—he was asked about these things on the call last night as well, and. Um, for, he he definitely was a little more closed than usual. He wasn't willing to get into, you know. I guess they they probably had some some serious discussions, and and he told himself, "Don't give out numbers because you're not. This yeah. is not what you want to do." And <laughs> that's uh, right. I, he wouldn't even confirm what the Tesla head of investor relations guy had said. So um, so basically, they're they're not giving out numbers anymore. Uh, he wouldn't even confirm the 30% drop in, in costs by the time the Gigafactory is fully online, which uh, had, had been stated before. So so they're not giving out these specifics anymore for, for competitive reasons. Um, but he but he made the note that nobody else at all is com- com- competing in terms of getting up, uh, in, in terms of scaling up and the, the advantages from economies of scale that you get, you know, aside from chemistry, chemistry issues. So I don't know. I mean, for me, that that continues to seem like a, a huge second competitive advantage is that they're so far ahead in, in scaling up battery production that they're, they've got such a great relationship with Panasonic where they're able to lock in so much of a supply. Because um, LG Chem, you know, may be getting, uh, may be getting up to Panasonic's level, um at that time, but they've got it spread over a lot of plants and they've got it spread across like a couple dozen <laughs> electric models uh, for different companies. So uh, Panasonic's basically, you know, with Tesla. And um, yeah, it's, it's just really hard to, to believe that anyone else is making the progress on cost reduction that Tesla's making on the battery front. I mean, and, and I've, you know, noted many times I'm a Tesla investor, I've been long for quite a while. Um, but uh, I mean, the, those are two of the those are two of the huge reasons why I feel comfortable investing in Tesla. You know, just from a selfish perspective, because it's hard to see anyone uh, catching up on the ecosystem front, on the supercharging and the battery front in the next even ten years. I think five five years easily. I, I think, but um, maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't that we don't see, but. Yeah, I guess. Well, obviously the, uh, there is, but maybe the, there's big the, stuff going on <laughs> behind the scenes <laughs> that we don't see. Yes. 
So I think uh, it's, it's quite accurate what you're saying. I think that Tesla is in the enviable position where a lot of its uh, success, its coming success, is in its own hands. So uh, it, it has a premium brand. It has a, it's an aspirational product. Uh, you know, the only thing, and it is a hard thing, is to get that, uh, that quality culture in while also uh, you know, successfully figuring out how to scale up a fair bit. You know, it's, it, it is very challenging. There's a way to do it. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I hope that they're able to bring in or to uh, maybe dust off some of the lessons that Toyota and Daimler might have uh, uh, tried to offer back in the day when I guess they had some contentious relationships with both companies. Uh, there's a uh, you know, little humility never hurts. Uh, and uh, I just want to riff off of, um, and I mean, and we can note that Tesla. I mean, they've been very thankful. I mean, Daimler saved Tesla. <laughs> Tesla wouldn't be here today if it wasn't yes, for Daimler. Yeah, that, that, that's that's fairly yeah. true. Yeah, he, he uh, uh, Elon had even noted that uh, uh, in one of the uh, one of the uh, the pronouncements he had made. Oh, I think just as a side comment, again, you don't have to include this. I think yeah, someone must have. Uh, I think Elon must have put a leash on himself. He has a wonderful frankness. Uh, sometimes that gets in the way. Uh, I can imagine that his supply chain guys were probably not appreciative of the fact that he said July 1st, but yeah. that's not a real date. And, and I'm sure some guys are like, how am I supposed to negotiate with supplier X now that you said July 1st and then my CEO is just you saying could, it's not a real date? It's like – Oh, my. You, you could know. almost see you could almost <laughs> see everybody cringing and, and Elon like yeah, – yeah. you could see his wheels turning in his head. Should I say this? Should I not? Should Uh-oh. I say this? But yeah. yeah, he's he's very frank. He's very open, and he's uh, and he's very intent on explaining complicated things to to normal people or to others in a way that they can understand. And and a lot of people don't have an understanding of how the manufacturing process works at all. And uh, I think you know his his key point there was to try to get people to understand how manufacturing. You know, I I felt like um, I don't know I. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know, but um, I, I feel, I, I imagine the supply, the suppliers understand <laughs> as well. But at the same time, you're thinking, hmm, I hope that doesn't make everyone feel like. But, but there's penalties in place, like you said. There's, you know, right. they've got to. Well, yeah, there, there, there always are. Uh, it's, it is uh, like I said before. It's a bit like herding cats in that everyone wants more time or more money. You have to figure out uh, the balance, and uh, ideally. Ideally, when you, there's dirty laundry to be aired, you do it privately because uh, I think there's that that thing with that German supplier, which I'm sure there are a lot of other suppliers who would be like, mm, you know, I don't want to have some uh, some guy, you know, uh, dumping on me because uh, there's some problem. Uh, yeah, that... I guess just just again, and we don't have to. We can, we can edit this this, no, this no. whole section out, <laughs> but. Um, at least all the ums and ahs, but uh, the the uh, I guess it was a little bit worrisome to me that uh, that there was a focus put on the fact that you know six suppliers out of twenty thousand or whatever it was uh, weren't quite in place because that kind of it's not it's not entirely absorbing the blame you know ultimately yeah. I've had the experience uh, of wanting to design a part and the supplier said well you know we can deliver it to you but it's going to be more expensive because we're going to ha- cut half of our production. 
you know, we're going to have to reject it because your specs are too tight. Uh, and so I had to be like, oh, okay, well, that means I have to figure out what what to do with the other components so I can make this other this first component cheaper. And uh, it's uh, I could imagine that for those six um, supply, the six components which were in short supply, I'm sure that Tesla has very smart supply chain people. They would have ordered the right amounts, probably with a little bit of a safety supply. I would I would make an educated guess that the specifications originally put on those six parts weren't uh, correct, that there was a fairly late change, and that there was a temporary like yield hit or a quality you know percentage of things which pass specification hit, which is why you would have a short supply for these six guys. Yeah, I think uh, that's... again that speaks to like quality control at the end of the line versus quality control at the start, uh, quality assurance at the start of the line. I think that for the Model Three, an awesome you know. Not that I want to write the Elon scripts or anything, but it would be awesome to hear him say, you know, I have I put my sleeping bag in the design engineering team meeting room because uh, we're going to make darn sure that uh, the right decisions get made here so that manufacturing doesn't get all the blame because they just happen to be the last guys to touch the part before it goes out the door. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I that think... said, I'd also like a million dollars. So, hey, you know, <laughs> if any, uh, any listeners are... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> eager to part with such money just let let zachary know <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're yeah i think you probably nailed it there um and i think there there was a, a kind of admission that 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 they had a i mean i think they sort of admitted without very uh, well a few times i guess that that they were to blame for a lot of the model x to delay but um but yeah the the talk last night about about working very closely with the entire supplier uh, teams, um, manufacturing teams or design team, I, 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 that that would be a really integral part of making the Model Three uh, easier to ramp. So I think that's that's great positive news. But um, uh, and just so yeah, the final. Uh, I mean, I think a, a huge positive for Tesla with Model Three is that their leeway with suppliers has grown a lot, so they can so they can uh, very. I mean, it's, they can be very selective about who they choose as their suppliers. And then also their vice president of uh, manufacturing is just leaving after several years with Tesla. And um, his background was not in the automotive world. He was at SunPower for seven years. And I I would, I, I, they seem already primed to, to have someone come in. Like, like they probably have, I mean, they have a specific announcement ready, I think, to be made practically. Um and they said, you know, somewhere that they've had, it's been extremely good, the response they've gotten when they've reached out to, to people individually to, to fill the, to, to work on the executive uh, level with them. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm guessing they have a pretty solid person lined up to, to head up manufacturing with a, with a long background yeah. in the auto world who could bring a lot a lot of advantage. Yeah, I would that think way. that the auto sector, maybe right. the aerospace sector would be your ideal uh, cases because both of them have a gazillion different components and uh, and you know I'm <laughs> sure this fellow was a genius at SunPower I'm sure he did a a more oh, yeah. I'm sure he uh, and the other fellow actually who uh, who uh, who left I'm sure they did everything in their human ability uh, to execute properly it's just that the automotive sector because it's so many darn components is a little bit of a different beast than virtually any other um, virtually any other industry, uh, it's it does 
it would benefit uh, Tesla to have a few guys sort of just exuding that automotive quality culture into the into the uh, organization, which will ultimately help everyone in the organization. And I guess as a as a final, I mean, also to note is that their former CFO Deepak Kahuya was at Ford for a long time, and now the current CFO uh, is from Google. So I I think. Um, yeah, I think having some of the really, really core people, central, uh, who who have been in the auto world for a long time at, at a at a high level, is worthwhile. And, hope, and I assume they found a really good some really good people to to get the Model Three. But we'll see. Anyway, uh, so check in next week, um, and you can listen to Matthew and I just ramble and roads and <laughs> and get your electric fix. See you soon.